0: You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor, Gare Jones. We are continuing in our series called Encountering Jesus. Learning about Jesus and learning about God through his encounters with people. The Gospels are stories of how Jesus walked amongst us meeting people, talking to people. And throughout the book of John, we see God clearly through the person of Jesus in how he interacts with people. And this week we're in John chapter 9 looking at the story, the miracle of Jesus healing a man born blind. And in this story, John tells a story to repeat, of course, that God is a God of power and can intervene in our circumstance and can heal. And we believe in a God of healing. But John says he puts this miracle here to show us more than just a God of power. That this is not just a miracle, but John calls it a sign. A signpost to something deeper about God. And in this sign, what we discover is Jesus' response and how he views our suffering. Have you ever asked the question, God, why? Why suffering? And in this Story in this miracle, we get an insight into Jesus' response to our question of why is there so much pain in the world? Why is there the pain in my life? We come with all sorts of theories, right? We come with all sorts of theories around that question. Is it because, well, it must be the response to something I've done? Is Is suffering some kind of Christian version of karma? Is suffering because of the devil? The devil is the one who causes all the suffering. Or is it God? God's behind everything in the world, and he's the one to do this. Well, in this confusion, in our questioning, John points to Jesus healing a man born blind. As Jesus helps us with the question, why suffering? So let's read together. In John chapter 9, beginning beginning in verse 1. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. The great joy, of course, is this man who was born blind can now see that Jesus healed this man. We're not going to look this morning at the way he healed him. Getting some mud, spitting in it, putting it in his eyes. We don't see that as normative. Our prayer team will not do that when when you come for prayer. The joy is this man who was born blind can now see. But this miracle is here to show us more. To reveal more about God through the person of Jesus. And Why I love Jesus so much, one of the many reasons, is he doesn't avoid the tough questions. The Bible does not avoid the question that we all ask of why suffering. And Jesus, in this passage, helps us as light of the world, shed light on how God views our suffering in the world. The disciples clearly ask, well, time out, Jesus, why? Why is he blind? And Jesus leads us through our questioning. The first thing we see is that Jesus doesn't answer directly, but we see that this whole miracle was triggered not by the disciples' question, but by Jesus' care. And In the context of suffering, we see that Jesus cares for us in our suffering. He sees us in our suffering. Verse 1 says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. It wasn't just a casual observation, but there was something about Jesus looking at this man which caused the disciples to notice Jesus looking at this man which started the whole conversation. Jesus sees our suffering. Jesus is not indifferent to our suffering. So often when we are going through suffering, We ask the question, God, why are you doing this? Don't you care? And we see in this passage, like we see everywhere through the life of Jesus, that God is a God who radically sees and radically cares. We see time and time again that Jesus sees the injustice, the brokenness, the abuse. And it says... He is moved with compassion. He weeps at the death of his friend Lazarus. He weeps over a city that is turned away from him. Jesus shows us a God who is not indifferent to our suffering, but weeps with those who weep. Jesus himself announced his own ministry in the language of caring for the oppressed, caring for those who are going through suffering. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Through Jesus, we see a God who radically cares for us in our plight. And ultimately, that's the whole story of Jesus coming is because of our suffering. For God so loved the world that God the Father gave his Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not suffer, would not know the consequences of the brokenness of this world, but would be rescued. The cross shows us a God who cares so much about our pain and suffering, he's come to do something about it. He sees. That's why Tim Keller, in his fabulous book, The Reason for God, says this, If we ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue, and we look at the cross of Christ, we still may not know what the answer is. However, we now know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he is indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself how God so loved the world Jesus saw the man born blind whatever you're going through this morning whatever you've been through in the past whatever's been done to you whatever tragedy still unfolds you God is not indifferent in fact the incarnation is God so loves you that he is and wants to be with you and join you in the suffering But it's more than he sees. And the disciples are pressing into Jesus. Okay, you see this man. You obviously care for this man. You obviously have... We know you are always moved by compassion, by people who are suffering. But why? Why did this happen? Have you ever asked the question, why? God, why? And the disciples are trying to reduce the causality of suffering into one category of kind of, it must be something that someone has done. Some kind of Christian karma. Some kind of Christian law of attraction. That what you reap is what you sow. And so they say, someone must have done something to cause this kind of blindness. And what we see with Jesus here, his response is pushing back against this because every time we oversimplify the causes of suffering, we're at risk of greatly damaging people around us. I mean, imagine if you were the blind man, born blind, and Jesus comes along and you overhear a conversation and the conversation you hear is, what has this man done that he was born blind? Imagine the sense of anger, injustice, the lack of care. Dude, I was born blind. And we can equally cause great pain in suffering and, consequence and, and conversations around suffering when we don't understand, as Jesus then points out, the complexity around the causes of suffering in the world. When we oversimplify around phrases like, well, someone must have done something, or, you know what, you know what? God just must have a better plan. Or, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. Or, you know what? It was just your time. God just took him. All of these oversimplifications are what Jesus pushes back against. It might feel good to have some kind of pithy statement, but through the the lens of Jesus we see that the causes of suffering are far more complex than what we try and hang on to. Jesus says, neither. Neither. Neither this man or his parents sinned in such a way that he would be born blind. Jesus doesn't then go into the sources of suffering in the world, but we're going to zoom out a bit and just summarize that the Bible teaches that the causes of suffering are way more complex than we'd like to think. The disciples, of course, are right in some circumstances because in some circumstances, suffering is because humanity has done something to injure one another or injure ourselves. Actually, so much of the suffering in the world is because God in his love, in his sovereignty, has given us free will and he doesn't interfere with the consequences of that free will. Otherwise, it wouldn't be free will. And so much of the pain and suffering in the world is because we have done something to others or others have done to us. It's hard not to open, well, I would say open the newspaper. We don't have them anymore, do we? It's hard not to read on the internet the problems in the world and actually extrapolate it back to, actually, this is once again the consequence of evil in mankind's or humanity's heart. I know certainly in my life, Often I look at the suffering that I'm experiencing and I kind of go, yeah, man, this is on me. We can say the devil did, made me do it, or you know what, God must be doing something up, yeah, something in this, but actually I look at it and go, yeah, that one's on me. And we know, don't we, that we can do evil to others and ourselves and others can do evil to us. Suffering in the world is often down to simply the fact that we are experiencing the consequences of God giving us a gift of free will. We see this throughout Scripture. That God is the one who weeps over these consequences, who, who tries to rescue us from these consequences, sends prophets in the Old Testament to say, don't keep doing this because if you do, you will reap the consequences. The disciples are onto something that sometimes suffering is. But in many times it's not. Because there are other consequences. There are other sources of suffering in the world. It could be humanity's will. It could also be our spiritual enemies is involved. Jesus so often talks about a spiritual enemy. I know in our progressive secular worldview, we try and Sometimes blank that out, but Jesus didn't. And so we look at Jesus and go, wow, he certainly believed in spiritual enemies. Whether you call the, the words the devil or demons or the, sat- the Satan, there are spiritual forces. And Jesus says, they are alive and they are here to kill, steal, and destroy. They have a will and you will feel it. Now, sometimes we're in situations where we go, you know what, I I think what's happening feels like it has a spiritual edge to it. Now, I'm not one of those guys who always sees the devil under every problem. But I've been around long enough to know that sometimes I think there's some spiritual attack going on here. We see it in the stories of Jesus. And if you are Christians, you will also feel that from time to time. I remember one story which I've told before when we were looking to move out to Los Angeles to plant this church in 2010. We were looking at it and we felt God call us and we were living in Raleigh at the time and we had said, look, we want to bring a team out. No one starts a church by themselves. You need a team of people. So we recruited this team from the church we were in in Raleigh and they were so excited and it looked all very positive positive. and so about eight of them joined me on a weekend trip to LA. We flew into LAX, and the point of the trip was to look for jobs and look for accommodation, look for rent, homes. It wasn't to discern whether we were to come or not. But from the time we landed on Friday morning to Saturday evening, about 36 hours, I could not deny that we had been under the most intense spiritual opposition. Again, I'm not one of those people to blame that on everything. I grew up sometimes in environments where someone tripped over and when the devil tripped me up, it's like, dude, I just think your shoes are too big or whatever it is. (laughs) But this was undeniable. Even for me, a natural cynic, it was undeniable. I remember we were just walking around the streets of Santa Monica praying about God, what are you going to do? And we had two or three people randomly come up And just say, we do not want you here. It's like, what? Other things happened, but I remember Saturday morning, we met for breakfast in the hotel restaurant, and all of them came at different times, but they all sat down and they were all white as ghosts at the table. I said, what's happened? And one by one, they told stories of a terrible night's sleep they had, but more than terrible, but frightening. And it so happened that through the night, all of them in different rooms of the hotel had experienced such nightmares and night terrors that they all woke up around the same time with a sense of darkness oppressing them. Now, I knew this was legit because these folks were like really conservative Baptists from the South. (laughs) These guys were not prone to anything of this kind of hyper-spiritual opposition blame. They were more scared of, they've never experienced this before. And it happened throughout the day ongoing until eventually, I remember the day, the time, we were next to Salomonica Pier. And I, it was so obvious. and Thankfully, I'd been around a bit of it before. It was so obvious, I went, oh, time out, time out. Let's all sit down. And I did a little Bible study around spiritual opposition. I said, it happened to Jesus, it will happen to us. Anyway, long story short, Sunday morning came along and they were flying back. Because of the time zone, they had to be back by Sunday evening and then go to work. So they flew out Sunday morning. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, I don't think they're going to come. But that's okay. But I was pretty demoralized. In fact, I was super low. I thought, Jesus, you're calling me to give up my job in Raleigh, planted church in Los Angeles. Uh, we had no money. There was only one person we knew here. But at least we thought we had a team, and now we've got no team. This ain't going to work. And yet I've already quit my job. So I thought I'll go to church. And actually it was a real struggle to go to church. Have you ever been in suffering and actually the last place you want to go is church? Let me encourage you, it's the place you should run to. And I ran to the only church I knew, which was up the hill, Bel Air Presbyterian. We love Bel Air Press. And at the time, I didn't know anyone, I walked in, I sat about four rows from the front in their beautiful sanctuary, and I was struggling to worship because I felt so depressed. And then Mark Brewer, the pastor, came on, who was the pastor at the time. And Mark began his sermon like this. I paraphrased, but it was something like this. He said, today I'm going to preach on something I very rarely preach on. I can't remember the last time I preached on, but I felt the Lord called me to preach this morning on how to respond to spiritual oppression in your life. When you know God has called you to something, but all you feel is the headwind of spiritual attack, how do you handle it, and what does Jesus want you to do? And I think the tears just welled up in my eyes. As Mark Brewer beautifully expressed, that sometimes the greatest sign that you're in the will of God is when you feel the headwind of spiritual opposition. And your response then is not to get out, but to lean into Jesus. Sometimes suffering is humanity's destructive decisions. Sometimes it's our spiritual enemy. Sometimes it's just the brokenness of the world. There is no reason that there is just simply a broken world because of humanity's collective sin. That we are walking through the brokenness and then we will get knocked. We will get hit. We will. The New Testament calls it groaning. That the world is groaning. That even the natural world is groaning. That we are caught up in everything that is slightly off kilter. is broken. There is sickness. There is cancer. There is natural disasters. There is no rhyme or reason to accept that humanity has been broken by humanity's rejection. The world has been broken by humanity's rejection of God. And sometimes you have the affliction of walking through a broken world where we cry out like Paul does in Romans. We therefore groan and inwardly cry out for God to come and fix this world. So there's at least three. Suffering is often caused by humanity's destructive behavior. Sometimes it's the enemy. Sometimes it's just we live in a broken world. And sometimes, and very rarely, to be fair to Scripture, that sometimes, but very rarely, God actively is behind it. Very rarely. Often we put all of the blame on God, but actually the Bible says, very rarely is God actually doing this. And far cry from the disasters and the sickness and the disease that we see in the world. It is very isolated to situations where God is trying to break through to his people and they're not listening. You take Israel, for example, prophet after prophet, please turn away from this destructive behavior and come back to me, but they wouldn't. And so he took his hand of protection off them, and the Babylonians and the Assyrians came in and overwhelmed and conquered Israel. God actively allowed that to happen, actively took his hand of protection off in a redemptive act to try and get them to wake up. I have very few examples in the New Testament. I think one is where Paul was not a Christian. Paul was an oppressor and murderer of Christians, oppressor and persecutor of the church, and Jesus was trying to break through to him to stop him in his tracks, and literally he had to do that on the road to Damascus, stop him on horseback. There's stop, a blinded light, and in that encounter, Paul was blinded. There's no There's no doubt that he was blinded because of that interaction from God. But it was a redemptive moment because later a prophet was sent to heal him of his blindness. The danger is, of course, that we see these rare moments where God is trying to woo us, where God is trying to draw us through his love and kindness. These rare moments, and we actually macro them and universalize that as a a concept. And say, well, actually, God must be behind the evil in the world. Where we see in Jesus the opposite. We see in Jesus the full nature of God, the true nature of God, where as light of the world, we see a God respond to suffering. And in every situation where Jesus encounters encounters suffering, he grieves, he mourns, and he overcomes. And so what we see with the disciples is Jesus pushing back against these simplistic views. And it's helpful, but it can also lead... To problems if we dwell on the question of why. We wish it was simple, right? But it's helpful when I go through suffering, I do think it's helpful to stop and go, why is this happening? Principally because I need to examine, hang on a minute, am I bringing this on myself? And sometimes I'm not the best person to answer that. It's my spouse or my friends will give me a true answer. And sometimes it's spiritual attacks, so we can pray. And sometimes we have to say, Holy Spirit, show us what's going on here. But Jesus stops us from oversimplifying. And if we oversimplify it, we can actually damage. If we oversimplify it to be, it's always the devil. Well, actually, dude, you're just neglecting that. You need to grow up a bit. Or actually, no, it was my fault that that happened. No, it's not. It was the evil intention of other people. That's why it happened. And the worst one, which has to be put aside fully, is, you know what, everything happens for a reason. It's not in the Bible. I know it's a comforting thing to say, but it's not how Jesus responds to suffering as if God is going behind everything. Great, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring this suffering in because I want this to happen. That God is some kind of moral monster. No, sometimes we're living in the chaos of this broken world. There's an enemy around us. And Jesus, in the lens of Jesus, he weeps and opposes and intervenes in what's going on in the world. He doesn't say, this is exactly as I wanted it. We need to tell the world that God is not a moral monster, but He has actually intervened into the evil in this world to overcome it. Jesus does not collude and create evil. He's the one who's come to overcome it. So Jesus helps us with the why to prevent us from simplistic or naive or dangerous views of what causes suffering. But he moves on from there because sometimes it's so complex, and I find often, that actually the why can sometimes help, particularly if I need to look at myself or lean into spiritual prayer, but sometimes I just don't know. And I have to leave it with God because Jesus says, look, I'm not giving you a full philosophical understanding of suffering. What I am doing is giving you a bit of a road map, but don't end. The road doesn't end with why, because I want you to go from why to the most important area, which is what? Which is what is God going to do in the suffering? What is God going to do about suffering? the suffering. The great story of the Bible is more about God's response to suffering than it is about giving us an understanding of why. And this is what he does with his disciples. He says to them very clearly, neither, neither has caused this. And he moves them from the why, obsessing about the why, to the what. Now, I've got to get a bit kind of Teachery for a minute because the verse is quite difficult to read in the English because the Greek is confusing. And so, if we could bring up verse 3 again, it says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned to Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, when you read that, you're thinking, Hang on a minute, Jesus is very clearly saying, This happened, the blindness, so that God could do a miracle. Later on. And out of that we go, oh, so God is behind evil. God does strike someone with some kind of sickness in order for some years later to do something good. There's a few problems with that. First of all, there's a problem with translation, so we'll come back to that. But there should always be, hang on a minute, there's a problem here because if this is true, this actually flies in the face of every other clear teaching that Jesus gives us. He seems to be... Contradicting himself. When someone comes up to him earlier on and says, Is it your will that you'd be healed? He goes, Is it my will? Of course it's my will. I'm the author of life. And we see throughout the scripture that Jesus opposes and God opposes evil. He's not the author of it. And the rare exceptions are not categories of someone being born blind, that years later he could just show himself show a miracle so we should go as a reading of scripture habit go hang on a minute what does this really mean and scholars have helped us here teachers have helped us here and actually go we think this may be a of the this particular english translation may not be so helpful to reveal what is actually in the greek which is the original language now let me explain sometimes there's a gap there's like, what is Jesus meaning here? And it's up to the theologian who translates it into English to fill the gap with, I think it's this. Right? It's like whenever you say something in summary and someone says to you, hey, by that, what did you mean? Right? And so this is a very quick sentence. And sometimes the translators are going, oh, Jesus didn't fully explain himself. So they fill the gap with some theological truth. Problem is, sometimes they fill it with something that other people go, I'm not too sure that's what he's meaning theologically. So, in the Greek, I won't put the Greek words on the screen. But this is important because actually this is so important to say that Jesus is not just bringing sickness into people's lives to show his power. He's not, well, God must have a reason that actually demeans the love of God. So in this passage where in the English translation we have but this happened so that is actually an English insertion there is no Greek word there right and so uh, the NIV gosh this is a, sorry if this is a bit too technical but the NIV translation is trying to be a translation which gives you the full meaning of it so not word for word but phrase by phrase so that the English language, can, you, know, you can communicate what it means. The English standard version, ESV, is what most scholars use, or a lot of scholars use, or the NASB, because it's word for word, and it's not trying to put in extra words to make it clear. And so the ESV translation says this, word for word, it was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What they mean is, there seems to be a break. There seems to be just Jesus is rejecting their simplistic, naive assumptions of why this man was born blind, which is the why. And then Jesus moves on and says, but you know what? The works, what's more important is the works of God might be displayed. There is no so that. Which is why other theologians who translate the Bible and one in particular called Eugene Peterson, who said, I'm going to put this into really earthy language to try and fully explain what Jesus meant, wrote a Bible translation called The Message, and it's very street language, but he's trying to encapsulate exactly what Jesus is saying in everyday language. So he translates it like this. He says, Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. You see, Jesus steps into that situation and go, you're getting bogged down in the why. You're trying to blame someone. You're trying to control it, which is humanity's efforts to avoid future pain. If I can just find out the reason. But Jesus is far too complex. You don't understand. You won't ever understand the full reasons. But trust me, I'm a loving God. And guess what? I'm going to move you from the why. I'm going to move you to the what. Because I want to show you what I can do here. That regardless of the why, if I come into your mistakes, guess what? I can redeem your mistakes. Guess what? Other people have done evil to you, but guess what? The scars and the wounds of what people have done to you, I can turn into victory scars in your life. Guess what? The chaos and the brokenness of this world. You didn't get the job. It's probably just a matter of supply and demand, maybe. But guess what? I will never have a job as the God of your life. I will remove, I will move you into something. That's going to bring great glory to my name. And guess what? Yes, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I will enter into that, and I will bring my light, and the light is always stronger than the darkness. You see, Jesus is saying to them, and this is so important in the context of suffering, he is not the author of it, but he will come in to overrule it. He will come in. And say what the enemy meant for evil, I will weave for good. Your immaturity that you look back and go, wow, has that sabotaged my life? Guess what? I will restore the land, the locusts of Eden, it says in Joel. I will bring life, even when you brought death. When you come and humble yourself, I will work goodness through this. I've been racked by guilt. A lot of my life by the things I did and have done to people where I go, oh no, oh man, that really hurt that person. And so, t- so many times I've been racked by guilt of, oh man, that sabotaged my life, but Lord, it sabotaged their life. I mean, I'm not talking like abuse stuff, I'm just talking, you know, it's just like, oh, I just wasn't a good friend or, you know, I wasn't a good boss. It's like, oh man, I hurt people. And someone came to me one day and rebuked me and said, Do you think you're sovereign over their life? Do you think their life is in your hands? Do you think you and your mistakes have the last word over their life? You need a bigger view of God, brother. Because even in someone else's life, by his mercy, I thank the Lord that he can even use the stuff I've done to hurt people. And when they come to Jesus with it, he can turn that into good for them. This is the power of a sovereign God. Not that he's meticulously controlling suffering in your life, but he can enter into suffering and bring his kingdom no matter the cause. This is what we see with this man who was born blind. See, while they're arguing about why, Jesus is going, holy moly. Guys, what's more important why don't we try and heal him? why don't we bring the kingdom of God? Why don't we bring light where there's been darkness? You know, what? while you're arguing about who sinned and what sinned and trying to find the exact cause, you know what, one day that will be revealed. One day you'll get it. But for now, I'm going to bring the kingdom of God to this man. And I'm going to step in and I'm going to intervene. And when there's been darkness, I'm going to bring light. God wants to ask a bigger question than why. But what are you going to do, God, in this? This is painful. this is tragic. My dreams have not come about what I thought. I thought this marriage would be it. I thought I'd have kids. I, I, why? I've buried children, and in the midst of those tears, I've gathered with the parents and we've kneeled together, and together we've moved beyond the why to worship. And say, God, even in this broken world, death will never have the last word. Because you have come to do something about it. Only you is there real hope, not wishful thinking, that suffering never has to have the last word. See, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see a God who came and broke the curse of suffering. He broke the causes, sin, suffering, And sin, he's broken it all on the cross. And in his resurrection, he's given the new days come. I'm healing, I'm reversing, I'm bringing hope where there's been hopelessness. Sometimes that hope is our eternity with him. You know what, God, you got all of eternity to make it up to me. You know, I will see my child again. But sometimes... It's also in the present that Jesus says, I'm not going to wait for eternity. Maybe the fullness will be there, but I'm with you now. I'm going to bring my kingdom now. I'm going to enter into whatever darkness, whatever situation. I'm going to come now. It may be a miracle. It may not be a miracle. But either way, you're going to sense my presence. You're going to sense my power. And where there has been the crap of life, And maybe you have felt buried by it. Well, you know what? I'm going to turn that into fertilizer for my kingdom of God. I did not put that on you. But I've got the sovereignty to come in and turn it to fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. I think that's why Jesus, when he's at the right hand of God, he sits there. Do you know he sits there? And he sits there as the resurrected, perfectly restored human. But he's got scars still that show the suffering that he shared with us and those scars that were meant for evil turned in the cross into scars of victory over the ones that sought to destroy him. See, this is the power of a sovereign God that we're asking, why, why, why? As if we can solve it with the why. He says, wait on the why. Sure, work out if you're just being stupid. Sure, you should grow a bit. But otherwise, press into the what? What is God going to do? This is God's response to suffering. To see it. To step into it. To fully break the back of it. But to hold our hands and say, I'm with you. And when I'm with you, no matter what valley of darkness you are in, No matter how much you're suffering, there is hope. And we will see the kingdom of God break out. We will see goodness where there's only been suffering. We will see healing where there's only been suffering. We will see joy when there's only been mourning. And yes, we still have to walk through it. We will have trouble, and that trouble will only end when Jesus comes again. But we can walk with joy, knowing that actually, no matter the why. Jesus has a great what for you and for me to display his glory and to see his kingdom come. This is the hope of Jesus in every suffering. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.